I thank God for some of the people who prayed for me as a new Christian, who wrote me letters, who took the time to teach me the Bible, who answered my questions. And I shall only know in eternity what I owe to some of these who encouraged me. But that's why it's essential that you not have a casual relationship with the local church. I want to tell you as much as I can in love, if the only time you show up in this place to be with God's people is on Sunday morning, then you have a casual relationship with the people of God. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We've begun this week a study in the book of 2 Timothy. Pastor Brogy has spent the past couple of messages reviewing some of Timothy's statistics, such as his mother and grandmother, the fact that he served as the pastor of the church at Lystra, and the fact that despite a society that prized old age and maturity, Timothy was rather young. But regardless of his youth, Timothy possessed a love for Jesus and for the gospel of Christ. As we finish up our introduction to 2 Timothy today, Pastor Carl looks at the temperament of Timothy. By temperament, this man was timid. He was naturally shy. He wouldn't fit the common stereotype that we have of a Christian leader today. If he lived in our day, we would dub him as an introvert. And so here's a man who went in a confrontational setting. His tendency, as we learned in the first letter, was to be prone to run. And so when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he tries to pave the way to prepare Timothy's coming. He said, and if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do, so let no one despise him. And as we're going to see in this letter, four times over, Paul will exhort him to take his share of suffering, not not to be afraid, not to be ashamed, since God has not given us a spirit of timidity. And so in this letter, as in the last, he's going to encourage Timothy to exercise his authority because he knew that he was shy and diffident in doing so. This, then, is the recipient of the letter. Timothy, young in years, timid in, timid in disposition, frail in his physique, yet this was a man who is called to be a key leader in the first century church. Greatness was put upon this man. And like Moses and Jeremiah and others, he tended to shy away from it. Can anyone identify this morning with Timothy? Young, weak, shy. And you ask, can God use a person like this? The answer is yes, because your answer is found in Timothy. And he has a special message to Timothy and to all of the Timothy, Tim, Timothys of our day. To Timothy... My beloved Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The message of this letter all concerns the grace, mercy, and peace that are needed to function properly, only available through the one source, God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Knowing the circumstances that he would face, this was not just some kind of conventional greeting. These words are pregnant with theological meaning. Grace is God's love to the worthless 
Mercy is God's help to the helpless. That's how the New Testament often uses it. Remember the good Samaritan who is absolutely, he met a man who was absolutely helpless there on the Damascus Road. Remember the man who owed a debt so great to that king, he could never pay it, and the king gave him mercy. And even Paul, a Jewish man converted to Christ, but one who once persecuted the church, who hated the name of Christ, he wrote to Timothy in his first letter, I receive mercy. And then he mentions here peace, which is tranquility to the restless. In the midst of hardship and the midst of difficult circumstances, there is grace to the worthless, there is mercy to the helpless, and there is peace to the restless. And it all comes through Christ Jesus our Lord and available not just to this man, but to each of us here today. So this then is Timothy, Paul's beloved son. And what follows in the paragraph... In the verses that follow are four key principles that God used to make him the man of God that he was. And if you're listening today, God has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How does God make a man or a woman of God? How will you become the person that God is destined for you to become? Pay close attention because what God did in Timothy's day, he does in our day. And he gives us here four key things factors that shaped Timothy's life. First, Timothy was shaped by his family. We read here in verse 5, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. Now, Paul again refers both to his mother and grandmother because he knows that every person to the large extent is a product of his family. Good biographies never begin with the subject alone. They always begin with the, the parents or quite often the grandparents. Now, while it is true that you do not inherit your parents' faith in the same way that you inherit their physical traits or personality traits, a child nonetheless can be led to faith by his parents' teaching, example, and prayers. And so... A godly home is a most powerful influence. I find it rather interesting to think about Timothy's home because Timothy's father was a pagan. He was an unbeliever, and yet his mother was a God-fearing Jew who became a completed Christian. Notice again Acts 16.1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, Timothy was the product of a mixed marriage in that his father was a Greek and his mother was Jewish. And we learn from this letter that her name was Eunice and his grandmother's name was Lois. And they were both godly women such that he says they are of a sincere faith. Now, don't forget, his father was a Greek. And by the way, Paul frames this verse, an unbeliever. But Eunice had become a Christian. In addition, we're told in verse 3 of this chapter, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, this verse in particular gives me some great, a great hint about what happened in this home. Now, as you know, in the Old Testament, circumcision was an outward rite. It was a blood sign by which God had established between the nation Israel and himself that they were his covenant people. And of course, at this point in the church, 
the church had already very clearly stated in the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, that circumcision does nothing in terms of making you right with God. It was just an outward sign, much like baptism is today. Some people plead their baptism as if their baptism would save them, as if their baptism would make them right and pleasing and holy before God, and it will not, it cannot, it does not. But Paul recognized that he might be all things to all men, that Timothy needed to be circumcised so that when they went into places like Jewish synagogues, he as a half Jew, half Gentile would not be an offense to keep those people from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this verse gives me a hint about why Jew, Eunice, a Jew, Timothy's mother, was married to an unbelieving Greek. Now, God in both Testaments forbids the marriage of a believer to an unbeliever. A Christian is never to marry a non-Christian. God is crystal clear. But Eunice obviously was not practicing her faith when she got married. I know that because had she been walking with God, then she would have circumcised Timothy according to the law on the eighth day as God prescribed which means that she was married either as a Jewish unbeliever, that is a Jew ethically, but not religiously, or she was a Jew and had even practiced Judaism at one time, but was just out of fellowship with the living God. In either case, when this baby was born, it probably stirred her heart to go back to her mother's teaching, and from childhood, she began to teach Timothy the Scriptures. By the way, that is a reason why many come to this church. When I ask them, well, you know, what moved you to come to Community Bible Church? Well, you know, we started having kids. And they're growing up and they're asking us questions about God. and We don't know what to say. and We feel like, you know, this is an important thing that somehow, you know, we, we need to teach them something about the Lord God. Well, that's probably what happened in Eunice's heart, Timothy's mother. And before her, his grandmother Lois who had obviously been converted at the same missionary trip, also worked in this man's heart. So he speaks here, for I am mindful of the sincere faith. First in your grandmother, uh, Lois, then in Eunice, and then in you as well. And I suspect that they were all saved probably on the same day. But even before his conversion to Jesus, he's about 20 when he's saved, maybe 18. All of those years, his parents had nurtured him in the faith of the Old Testament. So from childhood, he learned the sacred writing. Parents, God has given you an incredible job to do. It involves teaching your children and leading them to Christ, and it starts the moment they're conceived. I mean, the moment they're conceived, you ought to begin to pray for those children. You know, some of the kids who ought to be in here this morning are out there in Sunday school. And parents, they shouldn't be out there. If they're old enough to hear the Word of God, don't send them to two Sunday school hours. They need to be in here. Paul assumed, he assumed that children would be in the services, such that when he wrote the church at Ephesus, he directly addresses the children. Children, obey your parents. And yet churches all across America are segregating children from their parents. Listen, I meet five-year-old kids who started in this church at five, and by the time they are ten, they know a wealth of Scripture and know the Lord more importantly. Yes, it starts slow, but if you will build into their hearts, their lives will be changed. Now understand it is not principally this church's responsibility 
to bring up your children in the Lord. That's your responsibility. Now, I am here to help you as your pastor to faithfully teach you and instruct you from the scriptures that out of the overflow of your own walk with Christ in those other 164 hours of the week that you have them, that you'll be able to build into their lives. Recently, a lady called me who wanted me to provide a mentor for her 16-year-old son who was giving her a fit. Of course, I'm happy to help people when I can, but I know this woman to be a Christian but a Christian who's out of fellowship with God. And though she's not a member of this church or any church, though the New Testament teaches that she ought to be, she would probably claim this church as her church home and me as her pastor. And I told her just as lovingly and as honestly as I could, because God tells me not to soft sell the message, but to speak the truth in love. I said, how can you expect your 16-year-old son to have a passionate love for Jesus Christ when you don't? I can count on one hand the number of times she comes to this church in the course of a year. Oh, she said, but I love Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot impart that which you do not possess unless the word of God is alive in your heart and you are practicing it with the people of God. You will never be able to bring those children up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. You will give them a form of Christianity. You will inoculate them with a mild case of Christianity, but you will keep them from getting the real disease. Now listen, going back to Timothy, the first influence of his life was his home. In particular, a mother and grandmother who was committed to teaching him the Bible. And let me say to these young people here today, if you are being raised in a home where the parents passionately love Jesus Christ, you are most blessed. I did not have that opportunity. And to those of you who did not, God can intervene. He can break the cycle. He can come into your life and give you a Christian family. But if you as a young person are being raised in a Christian home, you are most blessed. But may I remind you to whom much is given, much is expected. But there was a second major factor in Timothy's life. Not only was Timothy shaped by his family, I also want you to see how Timothy was shaped by his friends. After our parents and grandparents, it is our friends who influence us more than any other single source. And that is especially true when, in some sense, our friends are our teachers. Now, in this case, Timothy had an outstanding teacher friend. We have already seen that Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. He led him to Christ. And when he did this, he did not abandon him or forget him. He constantly remembered him. And he states repeatedly in this passage, I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. He also said in verse 4, I recall your tears. He wrote, I am reminded or mindful of your sincere faith. And so whenever Paul remembered Timothy, he could say, I thank God. But not only did he remember him because God had gifted the apostle as a pastor teacher and he took Timothy under his wing as an apprentice, Paul had built so strongly into this man's life that when they parted, all Timothy could do was weep in his presence. These were men of God that loved each other. And Paul, night and day, could not but think of this man as he prayed for him without ceasing. The point I want you to see is that your friends are going to impact you for good or for bad. 
So when he wrote the church at Corinth, he said, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And while we often apply that to our children, and indeed we should, in the original context, he's describing the influence of ungodly adults on other adults. And so while bad company corrupts good morals, the corollary is true. And we're going to study in the second chapter of this book. He says, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord with a, from a pure heart. That's the kind of company that God wants us to keep. Your friends are potentially your teachers, your mentors, and God has called you to have a positive influence on them, and they in turn a positive influence on you. I thank God for some of the people who prayed for me as a new Christian, who wrote me letters, who took the time to teach me the Bible, who answered my questions. And I shall only know in eternity what I owe to some of these who encouraged me. But that's why it's essential that you not have a casual relationship with the local church. I want to tell you as much as I can in love, if the only time you show up in this place to be with God's people is on Sunday morning, then you have a casual relationship with the people of God. The Bible says encourage one another day after day as long as it is called today. That's every day. That verse presupposes that you have a relationship with some of God's people where you are involved in encouraging and being encouraged. And if you come just to sit back, to stay in the wings, never to get involved with God's people, you will never become the person that God is destined for you to become. Iron sharpens iron, Solomon said, and so one man sharpens another. Now, there's a third factor that was an incredible influence in shaping Timothy. He was shaped by his family. He was shaped by his friends. I also want you to see Timothy was shaped by his function. Paul now turns from the indirect means that God used to shape Timothy's life to a direct gift that had been given to him, which was to function in his Christian life. We read here in verse 6, For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul reminded Timothy of the time God called him into service and the local church had ordained him. Paul already told us in his first letter, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery, by the elders. In Timothy's case, his gift or charisma had come through or with the laying on of the elders' hands. Now, when you put these two verses together, I don't think that you can dogmatically say, as some people do, that the laying on of the hands produced the gift. Listen, God in the epistles plainly says that the Spirit of God is given at the moment of conversion, and at the moment of conversion, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell your bosom, He also comes to gift you. He is the source of gifts, not as you decide, but as He wills. Now, it's very possible that this was indeed a unique encounter, much like Peter and the other apostles in Acts 8, 
who come and lay hands upon the Samaritans, Samaritans who had already believed, Samaritans who had already received Christ, but they had not yet received the Spirit. Now that's unusual. We don't take from that historical passage and make a two-tier Christianity and say, well, first you get saved and then you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. No, Ephesians 1 is crystal clear that the moment you hear the gospel and believe it, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. But that was a unique circumstance where the apostles, lest there be two churches, because Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile, hated by Jews, hated by Gentiles, they came and by the laying on of their hands, they affirmed that these were were men and women who had truly become a part of God's church. And here with Timothy, for whatever reason, God in his providence probably gave this gift, at least accompanied by the Apostle Paul's hands. Now, what I find interesting, by the way, don't get lost in this, because there are some who build a whole theology of how spiritual gifts are given, and they neglect all the clear other passages of Scripture, or they use this to teach apostolic succession, or ordination is some kind of special grace. Listen, you're missing the point if you get lost in that. What's interesting is in the first passage, when Paul mentions the laying on of hands in his first letter, he said it was with the hands of the presbytery. All the elders were there. But in this second letter, though all the elders were there, he doesn't mention all the elders. All he mentions is my hands. Why does he do that? Because Paul knows that Timothy, that, that Paul is soon to be gone, soon to be executed, and that Timothy is soon to take the mantle from Paul's shoulders and to become his delegate in his place. Now listen, what I want you to see this morning and what God wanted Timothy to see is that when God called Timothy, God gave him a gift to carry out his ministry. God didn't leave him bankrupt. God gifted him to do something. And everyone here this morning who is truly saved has been given a spiritual gift so you can do something. God has not only called you, but he has gifted you and he's empowered you as you will use that gift because the God who calls you will equip you to do something for his church. And if you're here and you just come to sit, soak, and sour week after week and you never get involved with the people of God, then you're not functioning as God called you to function. You're missing a dimension that is critical to your spiritual growth, which brings me now in my final point. God shaped Timothy, fourth and finally, by his fortitude. All of the gifts that God gives must be developed and used. The parables that Christ told on money usage is a reminder that God hates sloth, but he loves faithfulness. Paul will tell Timothy in his first letter, chapter 4, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. And now in this second letter, he reminds him to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you. Paul likens our gift to a fire, a fire that needs to be stirred up, that needs to be kept ablaze, that needs to be kept alive. How do we do that? By serving faithfully. And I want to tell you just as much as I can with all of the love of my heart. If you don't get active in a local church, as God commands you to be active. You're going to meet Jesus Christ someday and you're going to have tremendous regret. You're going to see him at the judgment seat. Oh, you'll go to heaven if you've genuinely been saved. But in Paul's words, you will suffer loss. 
you will never grow into being the person that God has called you to be unless you function in the body of Christ with fortitude, with self-discipline, using your gift. That's why he says here in this appeal in verse 7, having issued his appeal, he gives a reason. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Timothy, being a coward, being timid, has nothing to do with Christianity. The Holy Spirit has been given to you, and he does not produce a spirit of timidity or cowardice, but a spirit of love, of sound discipline, and of power. He is the spirit of power, so we can be confident that he will empower the gifts that he has given us. He is the spirit of love, and so we are to use these gifts in serving other believers and not ourselves. And he gives us a spirit of discipline that we might exercise our gifts with reverence, restraint, and with self-control. And if you are to be a growing Christian, you cannot be passive. You have to cultivate the gifts. And if you don't know what your gift is, come Wednesday night. Listen to the tapes. Find out about how to discover your spiritual gift and employ it amongst the people of God. And so in these first seven verses, we have studied the making of two men, Paul and Timothy. Paul claims to be an apostle by the will of God, as he says to the church at Corinth, by the grace of God. And while there are hosts of factors that made Timothy what he was, family, Paul's friendship, God's gift to him, his own self-discipline and stirring it up, in principle, God made these men what they were in the same way. In both these cases, we find a combination between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Paul told to the Corinthians, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he quickly added, And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. That is, he added his labor to God's grace, though without question God's grace had inspired his labor. Timothy had become a man of God in the same fashion. Oh, his mother, his grandmother had influenced him. They had been instrumental in leading him towards Christ. Paul introduced him to the Savior. Paul encouraged him, but he had been given a divine gift such that the Spirit of God would come and inhabit his human spirit so that his human spirit can be described not as timid, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Timothy was to exercise with discipline and fortitude the gift God had given him, and we are no different today. Now, I would hate to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven and for the Lord Jesus to say, Carl, this is what I had for you. This is what I had ordained for you to walk in. This is what I wanted you to achieve in your life. But because you did not cooperate with the grace of God as a believer, you missed it. Some of us are never going to be used for the glory of God because we're lazy. Others have taken for granted the gifts and benefits, the homes they're being raised in, the church where a pastor opens the word of God week after week to you. And like some of the priests in Malachi's day, they just put up their nose at God and yawn in the face of God. And I can promise you, if that is you today, you need to repent and make your heart before the Lord right that he might 
carry out the plan that he's destined for you. Now I want to tell you, you will never be able to grow and become that person until you're born from above. Jesus said you must be born again. It's not optional. It's necessary if you will ever see God. It begins with embracing him as Lord and then getting involved in the exciting, life-changing process of becoming a fully committed follower of Christ. To listen again to today's message in its entirety, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting message number 2TM1, The Making of a Man of God. By the way, this and all the messages in the Second Timothy series are available on tape, CD, or DVD, as well as online. At Search the Scriptures, our mission is to save the lost and to grow the saved. Won't you help spread this teaching ministry to other parts of the country? For more information, call us toll-free at 877-787-7478 and ask about becoming a foundation partner. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll pick up in our study of 2 Timothy. So join us then as we search the scriptures. <music>